Lord, help us uh, through your word now. Again, we pray that through the gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the perfect one, who is the righteous one, who is the substitute for sinners on the cross, through Jesus Christ and through the Spirit of God, we pray that you would grant us in this place repentance. Open our eyes, Lord. Open our eyes. Lord, this is your word. We, we reason with you, Lord. We plead with you. This is your word. We are your people. So help us. Lord, help me to make it plain as I ought. Help me to speak as I ought. Help us to hear not just to hear the words, but to receive so that we can obey the gospel. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Romans chapter two. Romans chapter two. Whitney read for us verses six through 16. Because of our missionary guest and other reasons, it's actually been a few weeks, several weeks since we were in Romans The last time we looked at, uh, mainly we looked at verses one through five. Look with me at verse 17. Romans 2, 17, hear the word of the Lord. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, Do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So, if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. The title this morning could very well be God Shows No Partiality. God shows no partiality, Romans chapter two. 
Well, if you've been around uh, Christianity for any time at all, then you may know that supposedly there's a, a war between Paul and James. Both men, Paul and James, have contributed their letters to the New Testament. Both men, in other words, are uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, are authors of Scripture of the New Testament. James, with his emphasis on works, and Paul, with his emphasis on faith apart from works. If we're taking the whole chapter of Romans chapter 2, look kind of there in the middle for just a moment. At verse 13. In verse 13, where it says this, For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Now this is, uh, just so we state the obvious, this is the book of Romans. Which is to say, this is not the letter of James. This is Romans, not James. And the human author of Romans is Paul. So would you look again or listen? It is not, it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Maybe Paul and James are not so far apart. Verse 12, just before that, says this, For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. Well, you can uh, be a person who laments the fact that uh, the West, or that America in particular, is very quickly uh, losing any semblance of uh, biblical morality at all. You can be a person who, uh, who laments that, maybe even publicly laments that. If you, if you have a certain platform in public to, to speak against the... Uh, the societal ills of our day, or, or maybe you just love your, uh, your platform on social media, you can lament the state of our country in terms of uh, rapidly uh, disappearing biblical mores, biblical morality, and uh, you can be very right in doing so. Listen to me. Uh, there, there's nothing wrong with that, assuming it's done in an appropriate way and is assuming that we probably all need to get off Facebook anyway, Twitter. You can lament the fact that America is trending downward in these regards. You can speak of the sad and wicked state of affairs when transgenderism rules the day, when gay rights advance with ease. And at the same time, it is very possible to speak out against such things with passion, all the while... Uh, you're also indulging in pornography or malicious gossip or perhaps the very same things that you're speaking against. Uh, let, me, let me just say it like this. It is possible to even be winsomely, right? It's possible to even be winsomely outspoken against uh, this, this fast-moving train of transgenderism it's possible to speak in a compelling way. And again, in so many ways, you would be, you would be right. 
it's possible to speak against homosexuality and all the while be an adulterer. Maybe a physical adulterer. Maybe, uh, maybe not physical, but nevertheless very real adulterer in the terms that Jesus used in the Sermon on the Mount when he spoke of adultery in terms of unchecked lust. Do you see? You see, we can, we can speak about these things. Not in any way am I saying that, that those things are okay or that we should not speak about those things. The good news of the gospel through Jesus Christ is that the repentant adherent of transgenderism, the repentant practitioner, if I can use that word, of homosexuality, and the hypocrite can have hope through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Through the gospel of Jesus Christ, by God's grace and through repentance. Look with me at verse 21 of Romans chapter 2. In verse 21, it says, You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? See that there? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? If we are honest, if you and I, if we are honest about our own sin, if we honestly acknowledge that sometimes, maybe many times, we take a false assurance in the fact of that's not me, that out there, that's not us. If, if we can be honest by God's grace about our own sin, acknowledging that sometimes like these people in Romans chapter two, we take an assurance, which is a false assurance that we are on the higher moral ground and we judge others and in some ways, maybe not exactly, but in some ways, not only have we sinfully judged, but we practice the very same things. If we are honest about our own sin and if we repent looking to God in Christ, we absolutely have hope. We absolutely have hope. Two things this morning. I want to break down this, uh, this chapter into verses 17 through 29. Actually, look at that first, the second half of the chapter. We'll look at 17 through 29 first, the second half. And then we'll pull back and look at the chapter in its entirety through the lens of one thing. I've already mentioned kind of the big heading, God shows no partiality. First of all, in verses 17 through 29, Let's think about this. God is looking for transformed lives. Uh, Romans 2, 17 through 29, God is looking for transformed lives and he provides what he seeks. I want you to hear that together. That's just one of two simple, straightforward points that I have this morning. It's just two. God is looking for transformed lives and he provides that for which he seeks. He provides the very thing that he's looking for. Let me go ahead and tell you where I'm going with this. God is looking for transformed lives. 
Specifically, what I want us to see in this text is that God is looking for transformed lives of obedience and worship. God is not interested in our ritual, even though ritual can be okay. God is not interested in our ritual if we are neglecting what we may call, what the Bible calls, the weightier matters of the law. If we somehow take security in ritual, but we're not interested as God's people or as those who call ourselves God's people, if we're not interested, listen to me, in wholehearted obedience, then God doesn't care about that. God is looking for transformed lives of obedience and worship. He is looking for our obedience more than our ritual. He's looking for obedience more than our ritual. And of course, Jesus said, don't neglect the small things. Ritual is good. Don't neglect these things, but certainly don't cling to these things while you're neglecting the weightier matters of the law. So I know I've already given one example, but here's another. And I hope to show you these are not just random, maybe uh, seemingly crazy examples, but I hope, to, hope that you'll see that these go squarely with the text. So you can be a, a legislator known far and wide for your stand on Christian principles. You can be a legislator known for your stand for Christian morality. You can be a conservative uh, legislator who is a key sponsor of a bill that is seeking to counteract various forms of pornography. And then you can be the same person who gets arrested for illegally soliciting a prostitute. You say, sounds crazy. I, I trust that it doesn't sound crazy to you. This type of thing happens all the time. And that's why it says there in verse 24, look again at verse 24, for as it is written, the name of God is blaspheme among the Gentiles because of you. So, so let judgment begin with the household of God. Let judgment begin with the household of God. And let me say it again very clearly. Whether I'm speaking about the man earlier who speaks against transgenderism and homosexuality, all the while being uh, perhaps an adulterer or, or she being a malicious gossip, or we're talking about the example that I've just mentioned, let me be clear that the gospel is good news for the repentant distributor of pornography, for the prostitute, and the gospel is good news for the man found to be in pretty gross hypocrisy. The gospel is good news. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of repentance. Romans 2, 4 says that the end of this whole thing is repentance that God leads us to repentance, that God's kindness leads us to repentance. Did you know that? Did you know that it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance? It is not only the judgment of God, it is not only the terror of God, which if we are in our right minds at all, we should be terrified of the wrath of God. He is holy. He is holy. It is not only the terror of God that should lead us to call out for mercy through Jesus Christ, his son, but it is the kindness of God. 
It is his kindness that leads us to her. It is the Lord Jesus Christ saying even this morning, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. It is the sweet promise of the very son of God that he has never nor will he ever turn away anybody who comes to him. No one. God is looking for transformed lives. Look at verse 21 again. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? Uh, While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. This is really not just here in Romans chapter two. This, this principle, this idea is all throughout the Bible. What is the principle? What is the idea? Here's how one man describes it. Listen, the scripture frequently teaches that God is far more concerned that his people practice justice and mercy than that they observe various sacrificial rituals. You see that in the New Testament? You clearly see it in the Old Testament. God is far more concerned that his people practice justice and mercy than that we would observe various sacrificial rituals. Psalm 50. You can turn there or you can just listen. This is one of the most clear places in the Bible where we see this. Psalm 50. Verse seven, hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept the bull from your house or goats from your folds, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Here's the nub of the issue. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. We may not be ancient Israelites who some of them thought perhaps that they could appease God that that God was the type of deity, that God was the type of God who actually needed sacrifices. God says, I don't need your sacrifices. I am God. I made you. I made everything. You and I may not be ancient Israelites in terms of offering sacrifices, but nevertheless, we may still think of a relationship with God in some type of tit-for-tat way when what God wants when what God is seeking is transformed lives. God is seeking relationship. God wants us to know him. This, John chapter 17, this is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom I have sent. I don't despise you for your sacrifices. I don't speak against them, but you're clinging to that and you're neglecting everything else. God is looking for transformed lives and he provides what he seeks. Now to make it completely textual, the ritual, Paul is saying something radical here. Look at verse 25. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law.
This is radical. Circumcision indeed is a value if you obey. Now think, think about this with me. Remember what Peter said about Paul. So we got we to think when we read Paul. Well, well, circumcision is like the main way if you're a Jew. That's the main way, the first way that you obey the law. This is radical. Circumcision is indeed of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, do you see what, do you see what God's after here? Do you see what his concern is? Keeping the precepts of the law. 26, 25, obeying the law. Even a Gentile, verse 26, a Gentile, someone who's not a Jew, will not, his uncircumcised, he doesn't have, he doesn't have the covenant mark in his flesh of the people of God, but nevertheless, his uncircumcision will be regarded as circumcision. This is radical. Verse 27, then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly nor is circumcision outward and physical. What Paul is saying to, these, to this Roman church is he's saying to them, you, some of you may be clinging to the law. We've got the law and that is great. We've got God's book We've got the Torah, we've got God's revelation, and we've got circumcision. Look at all those homosexual offenders over there. Look at all those wicked people. He says, if you are clinging to the Torah, to the, to the law, and to circumcision, but yet you are neglecting wholehearted obedience, do not think that you are in a safe place. Which brings us to the second thing of two. And that is that God shows no partiality. That's verse 11. I want you to see how this goes together. God shows no partiality. So you can, uh, you can play favorites at recess. And you might not be smart if you don't play favorites. And pick the guy in kickball game who's going to kick the ball way over people's heads. And you can play favorites there, maybe to your advantage. But the Bible is very clear that God doesn't play favorites. You, you see, in places like James chapter 2, for example, uh, you, you may know it. In James chapter 2, the Word of God comes to us. And, and James says, in a, in a gathering like this, and in church services, he says, do not show partiality. And, and ultimately, what he's saying is, is, is be like God, your Father. Because God shows no partiality. The, the ultimate division in the human race is, is certainly not black and white. It's not Jew and Gentile. There is a division in the human race. Oh, there is. There are only two ways to live. And it's, it's not Jew or Gentile. Although he's clearly speaking about Jews and Gentiles in this passage. No, the ultimate, and in fact, I would say the only division is believer and unbeliever under the wrath of God or not under the wrath of God, under the wrath of God or Romans 8, no condemnation through Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ lived a perfect life and he died on the cross dying as a substitute. Listen, he bore the wrath of God in our place. God's holy anger against your sin and my sin 
was poured out on the head of Jesus on the cross. You might think of the cross, if you've ever thought of it before, as just some nice thing or, or maybe just as an example for us. That's great. Jesus laid down his life. We should lay down our lives too and sacrifice. You can't lay your life down like Jesus laid his life down. Jesus died as a substitute for your sins, bearing the wrath of God. He and he alone is worthy. God shows no partiality. Paul talks about the gospel. Even here, and, and no doubt this is, there's some heavy things, but even here in verse 16, he says, on that day when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by who? By Christ Jesus. God shows no partiality. I've mentioned already James chapter two. If you're in a gathering like this and there's rich people and a poor man comes in, give him the same treatment that you would to the rich man. Show no partiality. Be like your father. In just the same way that what we saw in verses 17 through 29 is a principle that's true in the whole Bible. God does care about ritual, but he also cares about wholehearted obedience. This also, what we see in verse 11, God shows no partiality, is all over the Bible. Sure, the Jews were his chosen people, yes. But what he's saying here is that all will be judged according to works. Every one of us will be judged according to our deeds. Don't take my word for it. Look there at verse 11. Look at the words. God shows no partiality. God doesn't play favorites. What does this mean? Well, it means what verse 6 says. I'm not saying that verse 6 and verse 11 are saying exactly the same thing, but it's very close. Look at verse 6. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be what? There will be wrath and fury. Romans 2, 9, there will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. Well, we have circumcision. Hold on a minute, Paul. We have circumcision. We have the law. I'm not saying it's all based on works, but we're God's chosen people. No, no, no. Every human being, every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but, verse 10, glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For, there it is again, for God shows no partiality. Let me show you something for just a moment. And this is uh, by design. This is not me uh, pulling out something magical here. Here in verses six through 11, which, which ends with that statement right there, God shows no partiality. It's designed that verses six, verse six would go with verse 11. What's the main point here? 
Well, the main point is verse 6. He will render to each one according to his works. And then verse 7 goes with verse 10. What does it mean that he will render to each one according to his works? Let me just tell you, it means at the final judgment, at the final judgment, we will all give an account to God for the deeds that we have done in the body. Believers too, absolutely, 2 Corinthians 5.10. What do you mean in verse 6, Paul, when you say you will render to each one according to your works? Well, let me begin in verse 7. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life, which, notice, notice again, which goes with verse 10. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. By the way, the gospel is the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ, salvation from the wrath of God when we repent of our sins and trust in Christ And the gospel is the power of God and salvation for the Jew first and also the Greek, Romans 1, 16 through 17. He's, of course, going to go on in chapter 3 to say circumcision. It does matter. The law does matter. The Jews do matter. But nevertheless, in verses 7 and 10, go together. What else do you mean, Paul, when you say in verse 6, if you're saying that this is your main point, that at the final judgment of God, we're all going to give an account to God? In other words, every single person in this room is going to give an account to God on the day of final judgment for the, for the what? For the deeds that we have done. What else do you mean? Well, verses 8 and 9 go together. And so it kind of works its way in. Verse 8 but for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. You see what it says there at the end of verse 8. There will be wrath and fury. Verse 9. Let me say the same thing another way, Paul says. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first, and also the Greek. Not to get into the weeds too much, but some uh, interpreter, there's just two different ways you can interpret this passage and both are okay, but I'll, I'll tell you mine and not to get into the weeds too much, but some people look at verses eight and nine. Those go together. It's talking about self-seeking people, people who don't obey the truth. The first way that you obey the truth is not by trying to be right with God, but is obeying the gospel. Believe the gospel. It's talking about self-seeking people who don't obey the truth. They obey unrighteousness. And what is their end? Their end is wrath and fury. And in verse nine, it's saying basically the same thing. There's gonna be wrath, fury, tribulation, and distress for every human being who does evil. And so some people say, well, that's certainly real people. And if you follow Paul's argument for a few more verses and a few more chapters, Paul is clearly saying, he's clearly saying, God says we're all evil, okay? God says we're all evil. We're all wicked. We're all deserving of judgment in hell apart from his grace. That's what Paul clearly says. And so some people would say, verses 7 and 10, that's hypothetical. Do you see what I'm saying? Some people look at verses 7 and 10 and say, that's not talking about a real person who by patience and well-doing seeks glory and honor and immortality. Because it almost may look like you're a trade-off. God, I'll do this and you give me eternal life. God, I'll do this, I'll do good and you give glory and honor and peace. 
I personally think it's somewhat clear that this is talking about believers and unbelievers, that it actually is talking about believers. Even though we do not preach that we are made right with God through works, we are not made right with God through our works. Nevertheless, does it not seem clear? This is talking about a real person. Verses 7 and 10 is talking about a real person. The point he is making is this, is that we show partiality. We judge by appearance. We divvy out based on appearance. God shows no partiality. Jew or Greek, it doesn't matter. On the final day, he will render to each one according to his works. And let me remind you of what I said earlier, that God is looking for transformed lives. God is looking for transformed lives and not our rituals, certainly not, certainly not our rituals of repeat this prayer after me. That's an example of a ritual. You say, you see, we're not Jews who are offering sacrifices and taking comfort in those, but we may be 2021 people who are taking comfort in the fact that sometime back then you said a prayer, you walked an aisle, none of which in and of itself is a bad thing. Don't hear me saying that. These things are not bad, but are we trusting in these things? Are we trusting in these things instead of relying on the Spirit of God and on the Word of God and what God alone provides? Your trust must presently be in Jesus. That's great if you were saved back then, but is your trust presently in Jesus? Are you presently repenting of your sins? God is looking for transformed lives. He is not looking merely for a prayer prayed and a life unchanged. God is looking for transformed lives and he provides that which he seeks. The very thing that he's looking for, he gives. The very thing he's looking for, he himself gives. 28 and 29. No one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. This would have been radical. This is why, although the Bible does it in some sense, I do not draw a tight connection a tight connection between circumcision and baptism. This is talking about the new age. There was an era, there was an age, an era that was characterized by the law of Moses. And notice what he says here in verse 29. It is not by the letter through Jesus Christ and through his resurrection, everything has changed the old has gone. Behold, the new has come. A Jew is one inwardly. Verse 29, a Jew is one inwardly and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not, not by the letter. Three times in the New Testament, Paul speaks about the spirit and not the letter. And every time he's talking about this age and the new age, the new covenant in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. His praise is not from man, but from God. You can be freed from people pleasing. You can be freed and come out from under being a slave to the opinion of other people. You can get your praise from God and say, my praise is from God because by his spirit, verses 28 and 29, by his spirit, he has changed my heart 
and by his gospel, verse 16, Jesus Christ has changed my life. So I don't dismiss ritual. I embrace ritual appropriately. And by God's help, I offer myself in wholehearted obedience. Dear friends, God shows no partiality. God shows no partiality. God shows no partiality. According to the text, that first of all means you're a Jew, that's great. You have circumcision, that's great. You have the law, that's great. You think you can teach other people like Gentiles the law that God's given you? You're right, you should. But don't teach them against adultery while you are committing adultery. Don't teach against stealing while you're stealing. God is looking for transformed lives and through the gospel and through his spirit, he provides that very thing. I close and I would ask you to listen carefully. I'm gonna read four passages of scripture and I'm just gonna read these and remember that 11 goes with six. God shows no partiality. He will render to each one according to his works. Consider God. 1 Peter 1.17. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Jeremiah 17.10. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Acts 10.34. Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. Deuteronomy 10, 17, behold your God. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. Let's pray. Lord, lead us to repentance. Wake us up in your abundant kindness to the coming day of judgment and help us to look to the cross where your judgment fell on Christ, your son. So wake us up, Lord, and whether we are faithful Christians by your grace alone who have been seeking to follow you for decades, or whether we may be an unbeliever here today. May we turn from our sin. As you have told us, you must be born again from above by the Spirit. Oh Lord, help us. Help us as a church. Lord, we've prayed. We pray again already. Save little Tucker. Have mercy on us. You are a God who shows no partiality. Unite our hearts to fear your name. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.